And thank you, everybody, for your expression of appreciation. Um, one of the things that I said when I candidated and came here was that I don't believe anybody can be interesting more than about 36 to 42 weeks a year. I just have a very firm commitment that pastors shouldn't be preaching more than that. There was a study done some time ago that when pastors preached more than about 42 weeks a year, they only really ever preached eight sermons over and over again. Because it just dries you out, you don't have anything fresh, you keep going back to your hobby horses and it just isn't any fun. So one of the things that I really need from you guys is to have an open mind to receiving guest speakers because you're going to receive between 10 and 12 of them every year. Um, some from inside the congregation, some from outside. It's really important for the health and life of our church while we have a church of like 400 people and one pastor. Does that make sense? Um, this morning, um, a good friend of mine is here, Adam Mabry. Um, Adam is, a, uh, is church planting in Boston right now, the um, well-known graveyard of church planters, and doesn't seem to dissuade him. Um, they're having a core team meeting with over 50 people this morning, and the church has been getting ready to go for just a few months, which is really great. Um, before that, he was a church planter in Scotland for about five years in the UK, which gave me an excuse to go to Edinburgh, which I'm really grateful for. Um, when I was checking on our missionaries, um, somebody has to suffer for Jesus. And while he was, and while he was there, um, his team planted two churches that are still, still going and growing and um, in an extremely secular city where less than 2% of people attend Jesus Believe in Churches. And um, he's become a friend of mine. We supported him at Lynn Haven. And um, he's one of the guys that I can teach me a lot and is younger than me, which I really appreciate. I hate that I'm getting to that age already. Um, but um, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. So um, uh, I invited Adam to come here and speak to us for two reasons. One, because I needed a certain number of weeks off to think and preach, to think and write and vision each year. But two, because um, Adam is hot on something that isn't in our overall consciousness, and that is the duty of the church, not just to be involved in global missions, but be involved in church planning, the re-evangelization of America. And I'm sure he'll say some stuff about that, but I want to get that on our mental radar screens, that we have an obligation with the gospel to not only be involved in foreign missions, but to be involved in church planting and that the local church is God's vision for the world. The parachurch organizations are great bridesmaids, but they can't be the bride. And we're required to do that in an intergenerational way through church planting. So I wanted you to hear him. I wanted you to hear his enthusiasm. I wanted you to hear the word of God respoken through his personality. And I wanted you to hear a little bit about church planting, um, not in competition with missions, but as a form of missions, as a guy who's done this internationally. So Adam, why don't you come and um, do your thing. Yep. Yes, sir. Good morning. Just pretend like I'm saying or doing something interesting while I set up this music stand. Um, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, I was going to say some really nice things about Nick, but I can't think of any more now, so you, <laughs> you took them all. Um, I had no idea that it was Pastor Appreciation Sunday. It means I need to yell at my people next week. They sent me away. And, and we're brand new. <laughs> what did, what am I doing wrong? I need to really need to think about that. Um, we already read this uh, in John 1, but if you have a Bible, you can pull it out. And I think if I'd kind of, uh, uh, ooh, there we are. Um, there we are. Uh, I'm, the name of my message today, if you are one who likes to take notes and give names to messages, is Missionary God. Missionary God. The reason uh, that I'm talking to you about this today is because I, I really have one big idea that I want you to grab onto and take home with you, and it's this. is that God is on a mission 
and so should you be. God is on a mission, and so should you be. So should we be. Um, in John 1, if you have a Bible, you can pull that out. If you don't have a Bible, you can cheat and look up on the screen um, and just kind of feel a little condemned that you forgot your Bible at church. Um, it's just a joke, sort of. Um, <clears throat> missionary God. I'll read it from up here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made, and in Him was life... And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the only God who is at the Father's side, or as some translations say, in the heart of the Father has made him known. In the beginning. In the beginning. What does that sound like? Oh, right. Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, dot, dot, dot. We all know where we are. John is using language of beginnings because he's trying to draw our minds way, 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 way back to the beginning, actually slightly before the beginning. Because in the beginning was the Word. And we want to start right there because God is on a mission. We need to understand this. God is not just sitting around waiting for us to get it right. There's something God is doing in the earth, and it's very exciting. And for us to be able to rightly and truly understand it, we need to understand a little bit about our doctrine of God. Now, um, for some of you, the word doctrine is like a scary word maybe, and for some of you, you're really excited by that. But all all that means is there are some things that you believe about God. Everybody, whether you're a Christian or not, whether this is your first time in church ever, or you've been here for decades, you all have a doctrine or, or some beliefs about God. And so some of us, we, we, come, we come to this topic of what God is doing in the earth, and, and we think, oh, well, in the beginning God made everything because God was kind of sitting around going, um, it's kind of boring, there's one but three of me, but one of me, I'm kind of tired of this, I'll make some people, that'll be fun. And so that kind of leads us to this sort of codependent, needy, ex-girlfriend version of God. You know, where God is lonely, and so he makes something to play with. And then we mess it up, and so he's, no, well, come and pray to me. You know, don't leave me. Just be near me. Okay, well, just call me, okay? Call me. Just come to church. and well, don't, don't not come to church. Come on, I need you. And we get this idea that God is somehow lacking or needy and hand, wringing his hands without us. That's not true. God is extremely secure. He didn't create everything out of a place of need or lack. Now, the the other ditch that we can fall into is thinking that God just kind of got the world spinning and then took a walk and isn't really involved anymore. And the reality is that God is neither of those and better than both of those. God is on a mission. There's a reason, a teleos, a purpose for which God made everything. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. The reason that John says this so much is because he wants to paint this picture in our mind that God has always existed from eternity past in a very, very happy state. From eternity past, God the Father and God the Son have been in each other's face with the Spirit in a relationship of white, hot, passionate joy. The doctrine is called the blessedness of God, which is basically the idea that God's happy. He's not angry. He's not lonely. He's happy. 
And that's very good news for us because God didn't make us out of a place of need. God didn't make us out of a place of lack. God didn't create everything because he was lonely. God made everything almost out of an overflow. He, he spilled over in joy and fullness onto the blank canvas of creation and made everything. He made the sun and the moon and the stars and the birds and the trees and the flowers and the bees. <laughs> he made galaxies and he made quarks. Very big things, very small things. He made everything, and he made everything, as the Westminster, Westminster Confession of Faith says, for the glory of God. We're teaching our children out of this uh, little catechism, and we sing these little songs. It goes, who, who made you? Who made you? God! Who made you? God! Who made you? Why did God make you and all things? For his own glory. Three-year-old. It's the coolest thing in the world to watch, by the way. God made everything for glory. You were made. I was made. The universe was made to be the echo chamber of the praise, of the glory, of the grace, and the goodness of God. And when God made everything, it was very good. In fact, it was so good, it says it six times. Which, when the Bible repeats itself, it kind of means like, pay attention. It was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. And then it was very good. God made everything very, very good. He made everything. The, the, uh, the Hebrew scriptures use the term shalom, which you all know what this word means. Shalom means peace, right? And anybody who's studied Hebrew just a little bit knows that's kind of like a, a diet cola translation of the word because of what it really implies is the way things actually should be. It means right relationship with everything. It means things working in the rhythm and the way that God created them to work in so that when we say shalom to one another, what we're really wishing and blessing people with is that they would live the way they were made to live. And that's the state of everything in the beginning. And it was good for three chapters. <laughs> good job, humanity. <laughs> Took us three chapters to muck up a pretty decent creation from all accounts. Um, in the beginning, God made everything. Praise the glory of the greatness of God. We were made to be like prisms uh, reflecting and refracting the greatness of God. And then three chapters later, we de-godded God. We took God off the throne of our lives. We took God off the throne of creation. And we sat down quite comfortably upon it. So that when the way everything was made, everything was authority and and purpose and rightness was coming from God and worship and praise and meaning was flowing to God. And that's how everything was made until we sat down on the throne and we inverted the way God made everything. See, sin is not the, the crossing of some arbitrary line in the sand because God, remember, God's lonely, right? So he's lonely, so he can't have any fun. So he's sitting up there, and this is what we think, right? He's sitting up there, and he's going, okay, we we need a Bible. Holy Spirit, take a note. Um, We need something, and we need to take all the fun out, because we can't have fun. So no fun. Just write that down. You know, and so that's what we think. We think sin is the crossing of some arbitrary line. No. Sin is the contravening of the very nature and will of the person of God. It's undoing the way he did. He made everything to work so that when sin entered the world, it broke our relationship with him, our relationship with each other, with ourselves, and with the very ground. And in that moment, our very first parents, Adam and Eve, looked at God, whom they were walking with, which I don't even understand what that means, to walk with him as a man walks with a friend. And they turned their back on him. And they became their own lords. They ran their own show. They ran their own life. 
Some of you are identifying with this. They ran the show and they de-godded God. And sin, as my five-year-old daughter says, woke everything. Breaks everything. Sin entered God's good creation and the reason, the mission that God was on to, to bring people into a relationship with the greatness of the person of God broke too. And God went on a mission. God went on a mission. The very first moment in Genesis 3, our darkest hour, when humanity itself, his kids, God's creation, looked at him and said, No! I'm going to do it my way. They turned their back on God. And God, in that moment, in our darkest, deepest moment, God loved us. He loved us. And he said, Eve, through you, I'm going to save the world. Through you, broken, jacked up, loser kids of mine that I love, I'm going to save the world. We fast forward a little bit through the scriptures and we find a man named Noah. And if you grew up in church like me and there was a lot of flannel in your Sunday school, right? Some of you are, huh? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you are new to church and you're like, flannel? Don't worry. Just ask one of us later. We'll explain to you the whole flannel graph thing. The wonders of flannel. Um, So if you grew up in church, maybe you heard, you know, God saved Noah, right? Because Noah was a righteous man, right? The only problem with that is the Bible. Um, Other than that, that's, that's right. See, Noah wasn't a righteous man. It says that Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. See, I know that Noah wasn't a righteous man because he decided to celebrate God saving him by taking off his clothes and getting drunk. Now, when you have a win on Sunday, I'm assuming this is not how your pastoral staff celebrate, right? Like, that's not generally, we don't do that as an outreach, you following me? Like, but this is how Noah did. God used this broken, messed up guy to save the world. Fast forward a few chapters later, and we find a guy named Abram. Abram came from a cult in a place, in a city called Ur, where the predominant religion was occultic moon worship. Now, if you worship the moon, I have a lot of research to back this up, but I'm just going to call you a loser. Is that okay? Can we agree that if you worship the moon, is that too controversial? Maybe, maybe not. Um, But he came from a city called Ur, which sounds like a city in the south where I grew up where monster truck driving is popular. Like, where are you from? Ur, you know? Like... I feel like Wrangler jeans should be involved in a large truck at that point. Er. And then, I mean, he was such a good husband that he tried to give, his, give away his wife twice. <laughs> you know? Broken person Eve. Broken, sinful person Noah. Broken, sinful person Abram. And God used them because God is on a mission. And he used... They're broken kids. Isaac, Jacob, came to these broken, messed up, sinful losers and said, but I love you and through you I'm going to save the world. He comes to Israel. He sends prophet after prophet and he says, even though you're rebellious, even though you're hard, even though you have nothing to offer me, I love you and through you I'm going to save the world. And we go through all, all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout patriarchal history and we find this same thing. He comes to a, a, a person with a very broken, sexually broken past named Rahab and she, he says... Through you, I'm going to save the world. He comes to a murderous, lying adulterer named David. And he says, through you, I'm going to save the world. See, God is in the business of using people like this because God is on a mission, and so should we be. So we fast forward a few more 
pages and we find God comes himself and he incarnates. John 1, this is why we read the scripture. And the word became flesh and dwelt among who? Us. Now just so you know, that's a bit of a downgrade for God. Like you're nice and all, but heaven's just slightly cooler than your subdivision. Do you know what I mean? Like, think about this. The eternally existent God, who's always existed in a state of unending eternal joy, puts on flesh, adds to his nature humanity, and incarnates himself to a time and a place where there's no health care, no indoor plumbing, no refrigeration, wearing uncomfortable, itchy clothes, riding around on an animal. Imagine the smells involved. Born in a trough. God takes a mission trip like a missionary because God is on a mission. God is on a mission, this restorative mission. You see, there's this word in the Old Testament, it's hesed, and I I love your pastoral couple because they have this word written on their rings. Hesed is this this word used to describe the love of God in the Old Testament. And what it means is this steadfast, unstopping, never-ceasing love of God. It's not the cheap love like I love pizza or I love football. No, no, no. It's the love of God. It's this determinative, causative, relentless, pursuing, no matter what you do, no matter who you are, no matter what you do to me, I love you, and through you, I'm going to do something. That's the love of God. It's not weak. It's very strong. It's this determinative love of God. And that love became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glories of the only one from the Father, full of grace and truth. And he delivers to us grace and truth. And he preaches and he lives the life we couldn't live. And he dies a death in our place for our sins. And he takes the punishment for that inversion, for that original turning away from God. All of the wrath that we know is due to that, Jesus took conquers Satan's sin, death, and demons. He rises from the grave, and now he sits ruling and reigning at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. But before he goes, he finds twelve broken, messed up, sinful losers, and entrusts his church to them. And he says to them, go, make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Behold, I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age, because God is on a mission, and he loves to include broken, messed up people. He loves that. I don't know why. Dr. John Piper writes this wonderful quote. He says, uh, Call it mystery, call it grace, call it wonder. Once we were not, and then we were loved by God. We know not why, other than the glory of God. It's like, why do I love my kids? I don't know. I love them. It is a fact. They're cool, but not all the time. (laughs) Once we were not, and then we were loved by God. And God sends these messed up people on a mission. You see, the reason that we've just done like a 30,000 foot flyover is because this is really great news for us. See, in America, we live in this inversion, okay? We live in the inversion. You were told, and you grew up in a cultural milieu, if you're from the West, you grew up in a culture that said basically, it's all only ever always about you. And so just look deep inside your heart. There's a hero if you look inside your heart. Really? Really? No, there's not. You looked inside your heart lately? No hero. Can we just be honest? 
But you're told this. Come on, you grew up on Oprah and Dr. Phil. And if you just take enough classes, if you follow the guys with the brightest, shiniest teeth and just do their three Ds to financial happiness or successful thing, and then you can have your best life now. See, you'd think with all of this self-help stuff, we'd be just this amazing culture, the picture of psychological and personal health. Because in 2010, we will have spent 14 billion, with a B, billion dollars on self-help books as a nation. Just so you know, that's more than the poorest 83 countries in the world's gross domestic product. So we spend more as a nation on self-help than the poorest 83 nations make on everything. So you'd think we'd be this picture of psychological health. We'd be so happy and fulfilled, and we're not. And I know we're not because in the year 2010, the CDC released a report that said over the last 10 years, adult use of psychotropic drugs like antidepressants has quadrupled. Quadrupled. So how's that hero inside our hearts thing working out? We're so determined that we will be happy that we're willing to alter our brain chemistry just to make the rain clouds go away. And the reality is that God is on a mission and he's made you to be on mission. Listen, if you don't hear anything else that I say today, just hear this. You were made for the glory of God and that involves mission. You were made, you were made for the glory of God. The gospel brings you into right relationship with God so that you can know him, experience his glory and then reflect it and refract it to the nation's Because if the gospel stops with us, then we probably don't have it. The gospel stops with us, we probably don't have it. You were made for something greater than the American dream. You were made for something great because God is on a mission. And he involves broken, messed up, sinful people in that mission. He's been doing it for thousands of years. He commissioned those 12 broken, messed up, sinful people. And for 2,000 years of church history, he's been sending people and sending people and sending people all the way down to me and you. When as a 20-year-old, married for six weeks, he called me overseas to plant churches. You know why God likes to use broken, messed up, sinful people? Because in using broken vessels, you know who looks really great? God. God looks really great. When he uses people like us. Because he, he's able to take something broken and make something beautiful. Let me just put this in a little bit of perspective for you. About this mission. Sorry, I haven't used my slides at all today. This is the world, according to the Joshua Project. So there are some 6.5 billion people in the world. Um, 6,000 646 unique ethno-linguistic people groups have no indigenous gospel witness. God is on a mission for those people. That if no one goes, they will receive the punishment due them for their sins without any hope. This is my city. 98% of my city does not regularly attend a Bible-preaching church. They do not believe that Jesus is Lord and they do not believe the Bible is true. That's America, by the way. It's roughly the same as some Middle Eastern countries where they kill Christians, just so you know. God is on a mission for these places. God is on a mission. God is on a mission, and so should we be. And this is great, great news for you. See, for me, this means church planning in Boston, but for you, this could mean anything. 
This could mean anything. This might mean for you for the next season of your church. This might mean you, like God, have to change a little. God added to himself a new nature so that he could rescue an entire race of people. What does High Point Church need to do to reach Madison? What do you need to do to reach your neighbor? Because God is on a mission. See, you were made for more than the American dream. You were made for more than 2.3 kids and two cars and a ranch-style house and retiring at 65 and going to Florida and collecting seashells. If that's all this is about, and this is just a Sunday kind of supper club for you, you come and you feel better because you came here, what a silly hobby. But if the gospel is true, if Jesus is Lord and he really is on a mission and he's rescuing humanity back to himself, wow. And that changes everything. This might mean a new season for your church. I don't really know much about your church other than I really like your pastor. And his wife is slightly cooler than him. Okay, his wife is a lot cooler. But that's okay, it's the same way too. I have no idea why my wife married me, but I got her now and she's stuck. So... Um, This is a new season that your church is in. What a glorious time. Because God is on a mission for Madison. He's on a mission for this part of the country. He's on a mission for the United States. He's on a mission for the world. And you get to be on mission with God if you choose to. If you choose to deny preference, if you choose to care less about carpet color than you do people, if you choose to care less about worship style or your favorite pet project than your neighbor, then books will need to be filled about all that God does through this church. See, I'm planting a church. And so everything is new. And the mission is fresh. And this is a wonderful moment for your church. I'm very excited for you. I've actually felt compelled to pray for you. So we're going to take you guys back to Boston with us and pray for you. Which I'm excited about. So if you're not a Christian in this room and you've, you've come, maybe this is your first time, you're peeking over the fence at Christianity, the good news for you is you were made for God. And God has relentlessly pursued you through the person and work of Jesus Christ. You can be reconciled to God and you cannot just be changed and be happy. You can live for the very purpose that you were created and therein find endless joy, perfect peace in the glory and the mission of God. If you are a Christian in here, and my question for you is, are you pursuing your comfort or are you pursuing mission? What right now is standing in the way of you giving all with open hands to God's mission? I'll close with this story. My dad and I, we had a rough relationship growing up. My dad's a contractor. And um, there's some substance abuse and some divorce and kind of that very typical American, you know, family understory on top of the pretty house, you know. When you opened the door, there was some mess inside my family. We didn't have an awesome relationship as, as a young man. Um, but my dad would put me in his truck, bought me a little tool belt. He'd set me in there, and we'd go around job sites. I went to work with my dad, and that's how I got to know him. Some of you, it's time to go to work with your dad. He wants to put a tool belt on you. It's not because my dad needed my help building a house. And it's not because God needs your help, per se. But he invites you. He doesn't need you. He wants you. Just the greatest news in all the world. Because God is on a mission. And so should you be. 
I'll pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, that you've pursued us relentlessly, passionately, holistically. You're not just about making us temporarily happy and giving us therapy. You're about completely altering who we are so that for eternity we can find endless joy in knowing and exploring you, the reason that all things were made. God, I pray for um, this church that you would bless them, that you would draw them near to yourself, for the men and women who don't know you, that they'd know you, and for those who do know you, that they'd walk with you and pursue you. In Jesus' name, amen.